This is Changing the Rules, a podcast about designing the life you want to live. Hosted by Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world. Good morning, everybody. This is Casey Dempster. Welcome to Changing the Rules. I'm with Ray Lowe, and I'm not going to say it this time, <laughs> that luckiest guy. <laughs> and um, and we're at the wonderful Woodbury location of Wildfire Radio Studios. And um, we're, we're always talking about um, lucky people and changing rules. And um, we've learned that... Um, we're, we're all given rules from the day we're born. We have rules set for us, and it's our parents, it's teachers, it's the church, it's the community. There's all kinds of rules being set for us, and for the most part, they're well-intended. They're intended to keep us safe and to provide a structure so that um, we can have a well-functioning society. But as we get older, um, sometimes some of these rules can become more restrictive because they're not relevant to the way we are going forward in our lives. And I'm, I'm speaking in a positive way. I'm not speaking in a, a breaking of the law kind of way because there's a difference between laws and rules, but we won't even talk about that. But um, the rules are meant to control us and, uh, and to guide us. But um, as we get older, we have to figure out which rules really work for us. They work for what we want to do and where we want to go. And we have to let the ones that don't work drop off uh, maybe retweak them a little bit, change them. And when we get the, the rule set that works for us, we're free to be ourselves. You know, and sometimes uh, we get rules thrown at us that we have to admit are pretty good rules. However, they knock us off of our path of whatever it is we're going to do. And now we have to figure out, okay, how do we make those rules uh, work for us? Mm -hmm. And we have a guest in a few minutes that uh, was faced with that kind of a rule. Mm -hmm. And she had responsibilities and she had things that she had to do. And this rule wasn't being very nice to her. <laughs> and she got in there and she took a hatchet and she chopped up the rule in little pieces and moved on. So you're going to meet Jennifer in a little bit. Uh, but also, I think uh, the luckiest people in the world are a group of people that I've been following most of my adult life. And, and the reason is that I noticed that there's this group of people that I want to hang out with. They're always doing exciting things. They're always in a good mood. They're always happy. They're always making progress. And, and you know, they work like dogs, and they manage to get enough vacation time to play, too, and they have it all together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I decided uh, these are the kind of people I want to hang out with. And more importantly, this was the kind of person I wanted to be and the way I wanted my life to be. So I started tracking them, and I found out that there are a bunch of mindsets that they have that distinguish themselves from everybody else. Mm -hmm. Now, a mindset by definition, and I uh, lost my piece of paper to be able to tell the exact definition, <laughs> but it's a way of thinking. It's, it's, it's the way you approach problems. It's uh, it's an attitude. Yeah, it's, and it's a bunch of attitudes, actually. <laughs> and and uh, probably more important is it's really important because it your attitudes build your self-confidence and your self-esteem. And these luckiest people in the world have that self-esteem, and they just 
do their thing mm-hmm. and uh, and and they're responsible and they take control of things. So we have a young lady today, and we're going to talk about three of these mindsets in her particular situation. Mm-hmm. The the first one is that she got hit by this virus rule that we have of social distancing, and all of a sudden it just changed her whole life. Mm-hmm. It changed how she dealt with kids. It changed how she dealt with her kids, and it changed how she's dealing with the education system that she's responsible for. Uh, The second thing is that we found that the luckiest people in the world always, always, always come up with positive solutions. Mm -hmm. Now, they have to work at this. Right. Okay? I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons to hide under the bed and not deal with things. But but they don't do that. They come up with uh, positive solutions, and they're things that are going to make things work. And uh, the third distinguishing factor is that they weave this into an action plan. Right. And they take whatever it is that they've learned from this and they move it forward. And I think with this guest, you're going to see some absolutely phenomenal things that are moving forward over here. And uh, so we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and interview uh, Jennifer Bates. You're listening to Changing the Rules with Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world. We will be right back with more exciting information. We have the signs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are back, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so so we're back, and that was I love these quick breaks, and uh, I love Diane's voice. She energizes me. So we're here with Jennifer Bates, and Jennifer, your title is your assistant superintendent of Salem County Votech Schools System, because it's not just one, right? Correct. So it is Salem County Vocational and Technical Schools, which obviously encompasses the career and technical high school at our main campus, as well as our adult post-secondary vocational programs. Um, So we have a variety of entities uh, in the career and technical world. But also, we are the Salem County Special Services School District as well. And so we then oversee the special ed um, population for students who are placed in out-of-district placements. Um, So It is typically going to be some of your uh, more severely disabled individuals Mm -hmm. or some type of alternative education program uh, where the students need to be able to leave their resident district um, to be able to come and get education in a new environment um, for a variety of different circumstances. So we have a number of different programs, uh, you know, serving students from early intervention, uh, which is birth, uh, and (laughs) uh, all the way through adulthood, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to individuals that, you know, potentially could be 21 or are adults, uh, you know, the sky is the limit uh, when it comes to education. Okay. So you have all this that you're going to kind of deal with. And uh, uh, so all of a sudden, like everybody else, we were hit with this one day we have school, right? And the next day, guess what? We're not allowed to have school, are we? So what went through your head when all of this stuff happened? So, of course, I feel like with everything, when, you know, this started uh, right around St. Patrick's Day, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we will never forget St. Patrick's Day 2020, (laughs) um, you know, 
all of a sudden, we had to have some really uncomfortable conversations as to what is, what is this going to look like? How are we going to reach our students? How are we going to reach our parents? Wait a minute. How am I going to implement my do now on the board? Right. Um, it's going to look very, very different. Um, so, you know, uh, immediately, you know, as a leader within a school system, I feel like the first thing you do is continue to tell everyone it's going to be okay. <laughs> We're going to figure this out because I don't have an answer. Right. I, I don't have all the answers. Um, but together, we're going to be able to figure out exactly what those answers need to be for our students. And in the districts that we work in, our students, you know, we don't have the word traditional that's mm -hmm. really attached to them. Right. Yeah. And it's not only going to be okay. I think what's going to happen is we're going to go into a new version of education. We're going to go into version 202 or whatever it is. And that version isn't going to be the new normal. It's going to be the better normal, I think. And you told me a couple of stories. Uh, you know, First of all, uh, l let me toss into one other thing that you mentioned to me when we were talking earlier. And that is that uh, you take uh, charge of education for prisoners, too, in some of the county prisons. Yes, we do. So um, as part of our vocational school, we do our, uh, it's ultimately the adult literacy programs. Oh. And it's for both Salem and Cumberland County. So, um, you know, old term, I feel that everybody tends to know know is the GED. Mm -hmm. It's that alternative high school assessment. Right. Well, it's all of those programs. So it's for individuals who have ultimately not earned a high school diploma through the traditional means, mm -hmm. um, and they're seeking to get that education. So we provide those classes and those services within not only the Salem County Correctional Facility, but at the Cumberland County Correctional Facility. Uh, so individuals who are incarcerated for a period of time who do not have their high school diploma, ultimately the goal is that they earn that diploma prior to leaving and, and serving their sentence um, so that they have more options as they move forward for rehabilitation. Yeah. Now, how do you do that? Because you used to send an instructor there, right? Absolutely. So we have instructors full time within those facilities. They have their own classrooms. They run normal classes, schedules, you know, the, you know, students come and go, uh, you know, on a regular basis. So what we needed to do is obviously rethink exactly how we're going to bring these individuals together. I'll be honest, the correctional facilities, they locked down initially oh, yeah. um, and they had to. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, that's where the circumstances went. So what we ultimately needed to do was figure out a means that our teacher could still have that face-to-face -face interaction mm -hmm. and that time with the students to be able to give them the skills and the guidance that they need to be able to move forward. Um, in the Salem Correctional Facility, uh, you know, and I wish Warden Kazupi was sitting next to me because he would be, you know, uh, actually really excited about it. We ended up reopening what we call the second floor. So so in, um, you know, previous times uh, when visitors would come in to see an individual that was incarcerated, they would sit behind the glass, they would pick up the phone with those spiral cords. And if there's anyone uh, from a certain generation, they probably don't even know what I'm referring to. Um, <laughs> we and... saw, we watched the movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, that arena that used to be there, it's not, it was not used. Um, that's not the process anymore within the facilities. However, it still exists. 
on the second floor. Oh. So we were able to be able to get access to reopen that area. So what we can now do is um, our teacher goes, you know, to the second floor. She goes to the particular pod or area that that student is going to be housed, and that student just has to go on the second floor and can go and attend class, can uh-huh. get the one-on-one time with the teacher. There's no type of um, you know uh, physical concern because they have the glass that's going to be between them, but they still have that face-to-face moment because in a correctional facility, they're not able to use technology. in the same fashion that we do. So if I want to, you know, pick up the phone and call my mother-in-law, I can FaceTime pretty easy. Yeah. Doesn't work that way in the correctional facility. So, you know, everybody needs to think about this. I, I, you know, parents and grandparents are worried about what's going to happen to their kids and stuff like that with all this stuff. But there are people out there with really creative ideas that are doing some things. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, you're right with your statement that we're going to be all right. We're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think we're going to be better than okay because the next example I want to bring up is absolutely floored me, okay? Because one of the things that you do is you deliver Votech education to people. And and, uh, this is, my understanding is this is extremely important. All kids don't need to go to college, but most jobs are created, require some skills. Of course, absolutely. And, And these skills aren't, are often delivered in a shop type environment or something like that. So, so what's going on here in this part of uh, your domain? So when we talk about career and technical education, uh, especially in you know this day and age, um, it's a very high skill, high demand set of you know occupations that are out there mm-hmm. that you need uh, you know an extensive amount of training to be able to perform these skills and perform these tasks. So our goal is ultimately to provide our students with the opportunities that they need in order to be successful, whether they decide to go to college, to the workforce, or to some additional type of training school. Currently, most of our professions and most of the career pathways that we work with absolutely need some additional training. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to walk out of high school and, you know, just, you know, start at a, you know, at a company knowing exactly everything you need, uh, you know, and I'll use welding as an example. You don't necessarily know everything you need, but our goal is by the time they graduate high school, they have all those skills that they need to be a successful worker Mm -hmm. as well as walk onto a job site with a knowledge base and the employer and the company will train them the way that they need to in order for them to be successful in the specific avenue that they're going to be taking. So when we talk career and technical education, virtually being able to work with the students and get them to uh, demonstrate the skills is wholeheartedly challenging. Yeah. Um, our students don't necessarily have a welding booth at home <laughs> where they can they do this. Don't? Um, well, you would be surprised at actually how many do have the capability of doing some welding at home. Um, but they don't have the same means right. um, to, you know, access the, you know, the skills. Mm-hmm. So as we look at that as to how are we going to deliver this content virtually, videos only get you so far. Yeah, and yeah. fire insurance would really go up at home, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> okay. I won't even talk about the homeowner policy. So, so uh, you used to teach this. 
one-on-one. You had an instructor. Well, not one-on-one. You had small classes, right? Absolutely. And and kids would come in, meet with their instructor, and they'd learn how to weld. Okay. So what what's going to happen now? So as we figure out exactly how are we going to be able to deliver this in a virtual setting, um, you know, we we talked about this presenting opportunities uh, for something new as it moves forward. And in welding specifically, um, and I've had this conversation with my instructor, um, you know, Mr. Nick Keith, who is absolutely amazing. Um, you know, we've looked at these you know, pieces of equipment, these computerized devices. It is this wonderful virtual welder. Mm-hmm. It's a very expensive piece of equipment, well over $100,000 to be able to, you know, purchase this equipment. So we clearly never had the means because what school district right now has an extra $100,000 floating around? Right. Um, and when we look at this virtual welder, um, all of a sudden, we're literally in virtual education. So now we need to say, okay, we're going to figure out how are we going to find this money and how are we going to get this in our students' hands? Because this is an opportunity that students have to be able to learn how to weld in a simulated fashion and be able to start to demonstrate those skills without needing to have the actual welding booth and the torch and all of the uh, you know physical equipment that they need to have. Hmm. So everybody is safer from that kid that only took welding because they like fire, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's, there's at least one every single year that that's the reason that they take our classes. Um, so again, as, as we kind of looked at, all right, how are we going to deliver welding? And how are our students really going to be able to practice and hone in on all of these skills that they need to be able to master uh, in order to move forward with their career? We started looking looking and saying, okay, how is this going to work? So this piece of equipment is a simulation where the students can learn through the uh, simulated machines exactly what the particular weld is, the, the beading that kind of goes in with it. They then have the ability to pick up these handheld, um, almost it looks like a remote control um, or, or one of those, you know, virtual reality goggle, you know, type sets where they then can utilize these remotes to then practice the skill mm-hmm. and start to figure out what it looks like. And what they are seeing through this virtual reality is exactly what they would see if they were using the actual torch and the actual fire. Wow. So so there are actually, that expands what you can do because I don't imagine you could take kids and put them up on bridges and weld, and now you can't. Absolutely not. But that's one of the pieces that, um, you know, and you mentioned the concept of going on a bridge. If you know how to weld, th- that's amazing. That's yeah. great skills. But welding, when you're hanging, off of the side of the Ben Franklin Bridge. That's a whole different skill set. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know how you teach that. Well, I don't want to learn it. Okay. So, So, yeah. So now this gives a new opportunity for them to be able to be put in a in a specific type of activity where they can practice it safely in order to master their skills um, without needing to be in class. 
But eventually they're going to have to be hanging off the bridge. But eventually yep. they're going to be hanging <laughs> off the bridge. All right. I hate to say this, but we are over time of already. Of course we are. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to have to take a quick break and then come back and close up. But you, I think you've opened our, our whole uh, mind to what can be done. And, and now these kids are going to get a better education because of the fact that Getting an education was almost impossible. Right. So, Taylor, our last break, please. You're listening to Changing the Rules with Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world. We will be right back with more exciting information. Welcome back, everybody. And uh, this this has been a really fascinating podcast that I wish could have gone on twice as long. But, um, but. We are restricted by time. It is a rule. And right now we're not breaking or changing that rule. So um, I just wanted to remind everybody that um, the luckiest people in the world choose to be lucky. They continue to do things that change their mindsets or enhance their mindsets. And um, it, this is something that we encourage everybody to do. Yeah. And we're going to do another great show with another great guest in a week. Mm -hmm. And so everybody stay tuned to Changing the Rules, and we'll see you again soon. Right. And go to www.theluckiestpeopleintheworld.com to see our website, see everything that we do, and um, give us some feedback. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to Changing the Rules, a podcast designed to help you live your life the way you want and give you what you need to make it happen. Join us in two weeks for our next exciting topic on Changing the Rules with Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world.